0: everybody, and welcome back to We've Got Mail. This is the podcast where you control the conversation right here at the Critically Acclaimed Network. My name is William Bibbiani. I am a critic. Everybody calls me Bibs.
1: Uh, my name is Whitney Seibold. I, too, am a critic. And uh, you, it's too bad you're not in the room with us, dear listeners, because William just did, like, a little sort of dancing flourish when he said, We've Got Mail. He didn't just say it. He, like, added a little body movement to it. It
0: I do that almost every time. I don't know. For me, I always imagine someone's watching, and they might be bored, so got to do
1: something. (laughs) It's like a fussy move you had there. But, yeah, this is the uh, podcast where you control the conversation. We read your letters, and we respond to your letters. You can write in anything you want. And we'll respond to that. You can write wow. in uh, criticisms. You can write in uh, insults. You can write in marriage proposals. We will read them all.
0: Yeah, and uh, you know we don't have time to read all of them, unfortunately, but we read as many as we can. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you want to email us, the email is letters at criticallyacclaimed dot net. And uh, yeah, as Whitney said, we're we're pretty much an open book. Uh, so you know, when ask us questions, ask for recommendations, take us to task for something, mm-hmm. um, anything at all, really. The, the the floor is yours. So without any further ado, I'm not going to do the joke this time. Mm. All right, I do. Whitney.
1: <laughs> yes. Read us our first letter. Right, here's a letter from Daniel. Hi, Daniel. Uh, dear Bibbs and Whitney, in honor of Independence Day and Hamilton, which I'm watching right now on Disney Plus, uh, I thought I'd write in about the other less well-known American independence-themed musical, 1776. Hell yeah! Uh, I'm curious if you've seen it, and if so, uh, for your thoughts, especially in light of Hamilton's very differently-focused version of the same period. Uh, in case you didn't know, 1776 is about the debate over independence in the Continental Congress and the drafting of the passage of the Declaration of Independence. The Broadway production beat out the original production of Hair for best the best musical Tony, and the movie used leads from Broadway, which I wish more movie musicals would do. The three Three focal characters are John Adams, uh, played by William Daniels from *Boy Meets World* and *Knight Rider*. Uh, Thomas Jefferson, played by Ken Howard, and Ben Franklin, the great Howard De Silva, who once had a who once had a heart attack before the show and went on anyway. Uh, that is hardcore. The show must go on. Must go on. You
0: know what? Must it go to the hospital? Were you afraid of your understudy?
1: Like, come on. Where's the where's the romance in your heart, William?
0: My romance is at the sac- hospital. Yeah, Go to sac- the hospital. Sacrifice
1: yourself for your art. Uh, the songs are great, but what I love about it is that it would be a great play even without the songs because the dialogue and the dramatic ending are so good. After seeing the movie, William Daniels has always been John Adams to me and vice versa. He is a voice of nature in the role. Recent productions have emulated Hamilton somewhat by casting actors of color in some of the roles. And I'm curious what the upcoming Broadway revival will be like. That is, if Broadway ever opens again. Uh, anyway, curious if you've seen it and what you think. Uh, if not, I hope you'll give it a try. Interesting companion piece to Hamilton because they're in such different styles and focus on uh, different specific events despite being set in the same overall historical context. Uh, thanks and keep up with the good work. Sincerely, Daniel.
0: Uh, I haven't seen
1: it. Mm. Whitney, have you seen 1776? I've only listened to the soundtrack of 1776. Okay. That's, uh, you know, we live in Los Angeles. Broadway is far away from us. Mm. And uh, because we live in L.A., we have the... Uh, L.A. versus New York rivalry, mm. forever ingrained in our heads. Uh, I have nothing against New York. I've been there. I like it. New York is um, great. But uh, as as was stated on Futurama once, the comedians were all right. This place is different from L.A. Uh,
0: <laughs> You're silly.
1: Yeah. So uh, I I have not yet had the opportunity to take in a full production of 1776, including the film. Um from what I understand is incredibly raucous and I think it is pretty, uh, I don't want to say sharp, but at least acknowledges slavery. No, oh, like it, it, it's, it doesn't like the whole, the whole second act is devoted to whether or not there should be slavery and what, uh, spoiler alert, there shouldn't, there shouldn't be, but we did it anyway. Isn't, isn't that what, the wonderful thing about America? He said sarcastically through gritted teeth. Um, Whereas Hamilton, I think we we mentioned this in our review of the, the Hamilton stage production, how they kind of only give slavery a passing mention in a few moments. I think it's yeah.
0: it's it's I'm, clearly I'm, declared bad, yeah, I'm, I'm but it's not they, the focus of the play. I'm glad at they all.
1: they addressed it, but yeah, that they only addressed it in a few small moments was a little dissatisfying for people who wanted a broader look at that period. It's actually interesting to me how
0: few motion pictures we have that are about the American Revolution, considering
1: mm. it was kind of a big deal. I remember seeing the John Adams miniseries the with Paul Giamatti. Paul Giamatti. Right? Yeah. It's boring. <laughs> oh, golly, is it boring. It is like like they have, they did not know how to make that interesting. And it's all about how he's this great orator and you know, Paul Giamatti is acting his ass off, but he's just not. Not making me interested. Uh,
0: the two uh, uh, films that I think represent interesting opposing views of the American Revolution. Uh, the first one is the Mel Gibson film, The Patriot, which is <laughs> historical. <Roland> <laughs> yeah, which is historical <laughs> bullshit. That's the kind of Amer- that oh, movie mm-hmm. is, I think, loosely based on the life of this uh, one American revolutionary. Uh, called I think his name was he was a swamp fox like that was what his like special like code name was uh, who did like a lot of guerrilla war tactics. So and is that
1: like Star Fox on Nintendo? Exactly, like yeah,
0: Star right. Fox. Thank you, Whitney. Thank you for all your help. Uh, but the problem is that the, the history of the American Revolution is so fucked up in a lot of different ways and that, you know, the Americans weren't great. Mm-hmm. Uh, in order to make a movie out of it, they have to so heavily fictionalize it that it no longer resembled the original guy, so they just changed everyone's name. <laughs> There's two good things about that movie. One, it's really sumptuous to look at, look at. it. It's a really gorgeously shot motion picture.
1: It's Roland Emmerich. He's just going to shoot the hell out of it. Uh, and,
0: uh, And two, Jason Isaacs, great bad guy. Yeah. Like really great evil bad guy, and like most of the film is Jason Isaacs killing one of Mel Gibson's sons after the other, like not just one. That would have been enough oh. for most movies. He oh, kills one. like twenty sons. That's wonderful. Yeah, it's great. Uh, <laughs> the movie is absolute trash, especially historically, uh, but it's not unfun to watch. The other don't, one, don't that they I, have
1: like machine guns and stuff in I the American know, Revolution? I vaguely recall. I know. Anyway. I know they like really tried to action it up, and they well, showed people getting hit by cannonballs. Oh, and that, stuff was, that was and, pretty yeah.
0: hardcore. Actually, you know, give them that. Um, but uh, the other one that I actually think is one of the better films about the people from that era, even though it's not an American revolutionary story, and it was a big film was nominated for a bunch of Oscars, and nobody ever talks
1: about it anymore is the Madness of King George. I was gonna bring that up. Yeah. Uh, it's an American Revolution story told from the perspective of England, and I was wondering if there were more uh, films about that period. I'd be very curious more to British them. British films from that period. Yeah, yeah, Nigel Hawthorne, a very good actor oh, oh, a yeah. late great Nigel Hawthorne. Uh, played King George III. Mm-hmm. Uh, during, and the Third. And great Ian Holm was in this as well. Yeah, oh yeah, and, and, other, and, and other and other British actors you might recognize Rupert Everett and Rupert Graves. So yeah, your your brain is just going to be completely <laughs> Dermot Mulroney and Dylan McDermott. <laughs> oh no, can't <laughs> <Get laughs> tell them apart. Uh, but yeah, it was about how uh, King George the Third was suffering from some sort of mental infirmity. At the time when uh, the American Revolution was happening, and he was credited and took a lot of personal blame, like a lot of guilt, mm-hmm. for essentially losing the American Republic. Uh, uh, yeah. It was, to, it was supposed to be a British colony, and they ended up becoming their own country. Yeah, we and that,
0: lo- they lost the whole continent.
1: Yeah. Like, so- boy, does he look like a total ass. And he's, uh, meanwhile, like falling further and further away from reality as his mental facu- faculties are leaving him. And they did figure out, uh, because there was some evidence as to some of his symptoms, they figured out like what his actual ailment was eventually, but they didn't know what it was at the time. Yeah. It was just, it was just, mysterious... he was just going crazy at the time. Yeah but he's still king so you yeah. what do we do we can't, can't like, vote him out or something yeah, there's no 25th amendment there's not even amendments yet yeah it's a uh, very
0: odd situation uh, and it's a really interesting film it's really well acted mm-hmm. and yeah nobody ever talks about it so if you want to mm-hmm. see a really good film about that era even though it's not about what was going on in America mm-hmm. that's damn good so mm-hmm. I hope everyone checks that out um, but yeah, no, it's just it's just weird to me. There's a lot of like TV movies I found, yeah, like sort of the gods and generals. Although I think that was Civil War, but there's a lot of like, like the gods and generals of Civil War. But yeah. there's a lot of like there was that uh, AMC series um, Turn, which oh was, right,
1: that was about that was about a, was a double agent, right? Yeah, it Who's was about, a British American double agent. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Um, Better idea than it was a show. I watched mm. the first season. Okay, not amazing, but at least it's out there and it's got a bit more of a contemporary look at the war rather than that sort of mm spit-shined kind of look we had in the old days. I
1: I find it really curious how infrequently we go to that period, and I think it's because there's not enough action. Uh, It's it's a hugely significant time in terms of letters and philosophy, Mm -hmm. which is why I think Hamilton works so well. I, I mentioned in our review that because the lyrics are so dense You get a good sense as to How important words are to the period
0: Yeah, uh, and they really, really were Like, they're actually, like, letters From people in the White House of From, like, the era of the Founding Fathers mm-hmm. Saying, yeah, we actually can't get any politics done Because everyone's just running from room to room Doing puns
1: <laughs> Right, Puns were big <laughs> Puns were a thing right. Puns were like, ooh, we can do puns now it's Ridiculous um, And, and if, if you look at a lot of, you know literature and philosophy from early American, right? Like in the first 50 years of the American Republic, there was a lot of really ambitious ideas going on. This was a new Republic. Everyone was just exhilarated to have these new opportunities. And uh, while I think that's an exciting time to study and to read about, it's not exactly cinematic. And I Hmm. think even the way they fought battles and combat at the time they don't have the same kind of freewheeling looseness and a lot of bullets fired like in, say, World War II or the right. Vietnam War. Which so is we why you more... got to
0: do the Patriot and just gussy it up and make exactly, it Exactly,
1: exactly. Yeah. Or, or, you know, if you do something like you know, Braveheart... Or Spartacus, where there are these gigantic battle scenes. But there's weird, interesting things they were doing at the time because they didn't have guns yet. So we're going to light logs on fire and roll them down <laughs> a hill at you. We're going to form, you know, form shields around ourselves and march in unison and poke spears. I like the, the battle formations were, you know, really gory and fun to film. American Revolution was really relatively stead. I mean, not that there wasn't bloodshed. Yeah. It's yeah. listen. There's a lot of
0: interesting. You can't. You things. can't. No, no. There's a lot of a inter- battle like
1: in cold Mountain. It's actually. It's
0: it, it, George Washington actually like was like losing the war for so long and then turned it around again. There's stuff you could do, but um, yeah. No, I guess. Mm. I guess that's why. I guess it's politically kind of just massively hypocritical and there's no escaping that now. Mm. So it's hard to make it seem just you know, yay America and also there are other. Uh, aspects. I've never seen 1776 back to the email. I know people who have and who are actually huge fans of it, and I always mean to get to it, and then I don't. But I'll try. <laughs> I promise I know, I'll try. We're, Let's we're, move we're, on to another letter.
1: Okay, here's another letter, and this one comes from B. Peterson. We hear from B. Peterson Hi. frequently. Good to hear from uh, you. But this is an interesting topic. I wanted to read this one. It okay. says, Dear Bibbs and Whitney, uh, the internet is ablaze with debate, what else is new, about whether or not Thomas Kale's Hamilton production should be considered a film. Oh, yeah. Uh, coinciding with its release, Netflix has put out a series of shorts made by made while in lockdown by known directors under the label Homemade. All of this has gotten me to... Def- uh, Define for myself what exactly a film is For me it was If it was shot with a camera and is presented on a screen It is a film even if it's not shot On film I'm using the word in the broader sense yeah. There are semantic categories it could be put in Of course uh, it could be labeled as Theatrical television or online Standalone or serial narrative documentary Experimental special feature or short It's all valid except for Space Jam uh, <laughs> Is that your comment or is that um, B. Peterson That was B. Peterson's well done, B. Peterson. You're, you're on my wavelength <laughs> Uh, I am now beginning to struggle in identifying the differences in experience between watching Avengers Endgame, a theatrical serial narrative feature film, watching Fire Pozar, an online standalone experimental short film, Mm -hmm. watching an episode of Last Week Tonight, a television serial documentary short film, and watching Hannah Gadsby colon Nanette, an online standalone special feature film. They all elicit emotion using the same visual and oral language, don't they? Yep. If we put narratives and documentaries and experimental films of our quote best of the year lists, why not specials? Uh, what use is trying to separate theatrical films from television episodes, and further separate those from quote online videos? What is really different uh, different between a fifty minute feature and a thirty minute short, or a four hour film, or a four hour mini series, or four hour web series? Why is all this separation necessary? Thank you, and see you in the next one, B Peterson.
0: Uh, that's a uh, really, really great yeah,
1: question. Yeah, I wanted, I, I really wanted to read this letter uh, because we've been kind of bandying about this idea a little bit in recent episodes of our numerous podcasts as to what a film is because we're living uh, through COVID and theaters are closed. Yeah, the old,
0: and the old idea that if it plays in a theater, it is a film, and if it debuts... On television it's a tv movie which is mm. a different thing or if it's streaming it's kind of straddling the line and what it really all kind of throws together is all of these movies that were intended for theatrical viewing and then got sent to streaming services whether they're hamilton mm. or trolls will tour or scoob <laughs> it doesn't matter where they're released i think we have way too much invested Mm. In the labels that we put on everything from genre to just whether or not it's a movie, of course it's a movie, that's my opinion, of course Mm. it's a movie, you put it in front of a camera, you recorded stuff, you, you put it in front of an audience, and it's a standalone unit.
1: Hmm. that's it, a movie it, it is it is a filmed thing yeah anything that is a so you're saying anything that is a filmed thing is a movie i think th- no no i think there's one difference here hmm. i think there's
0: the only difference that i really think is significant is whether or not the thing that you're watching is intended to stand alone or not okay so and and, and so like in serialized television Generally speaking, you're supposed to see it all as a unit, even in an episodic television series like Tales from the Crypt or something mm-hmm. like Law and Order. Uh, it is supposed to be
1: all of a piece. It, it is part of a larger unit. Yes.
0: Exactly. So a feature film is released by itself. There's not another one next week, even if it is part of a series. Mm-hmm. You're supposed to be able to absorb that thing by itself. Maybe you have context, maybe you don't and that's supposed to be it that's supposed to be the the thing that you absorb if there's a sequel or a follow-up or a cliffhanger in a film it's still supposed to stand on its own for a year or more yeah ergo i think that's a little different than planning out a serialized narrative or making
1: a whole bunch of films that are all of one piece that are released within a certain framework together Well, I think the Avengers movies and the Harry Potter movies and the Lord of the Rings movies have blurred that line, though. I uh, agree, those, those, but I those, think are those blurred lines in everything. Uh, this is true, but those are gigantic series of ostensibly standalone feature films, but if you watch single units, a lot of them aren't going to stand alone. A lot of them do, though.
0: Like, a lot yeah. of them, like, there's a few, let's... Harry Potter not with standalone to mm. start because I think the first 4 Harry Potter movies kind of do stand alone they do, like yeah. you're jumping in in Medius Res, but you jump into Star Wars episode 4 in Medius Res, mm. you you just follow along yeah. that's just the storytelling dynamic um, I think the later Harry Potter movies, I don't even think they even, like, necessarily work as serialized narratives. No. They depend on you knowing they, the book. They
1: work as footnotes is that, what, how they work. That's um, where you enter not just film
0: or television. You enter this, this kind of new concept of yeah, well, multimedia franchise.
1: And, and that's what I wanted to get at. This idea that not only do you have to have knowledge of the films that came before and mm-hmm. after, but you have to be uh, have knowledge of the conversation around it, the, the source material that it's based on. You had to have been playing uh, Fortnite that. exactly. A Fortnite, like a character in Star Wars was debuted in a game of Fortnite. And so these big cross media enterprises are rather deliberately trying to blur the lines between cinema and other entertainments. Mm-hmm. So their particular, for lack of a better term, Property can be seen as just one gigantic multimedia blob. Yeah. And you can go, you can face in any direction and consume it. And that if you're the owner of that thing, that's a good way to make money. Mm-hmm. But it also starts to blur the definition of what a film is. But when you
0: look at something like Star Wars, mm-hmm. for example, how Star Wars handles being a multimedia franchise, where, yeah, they'll introduce uh, Emperor Palpatine has returned mm-hmm. in Fortnite. And yeah, there'll be books that clear up a lot of details about the various movies you're still not obligated to see those in order to watch the films. And, indeed, most people Mm -hmm. still only watch the films. So, aside from the opening title scroll, which gives you the gist of what's already happening, they do kind of stand alone. Yeah. yeah. And they're intended to stand alone, at least for a while. Mm -hmm. Like, a significant amount of time. So, I do think that's different than having a serialized television series where you're expected to see the whole shebang
1: within a shorter span. Yeah. And, uh... There's also the the distinction between what counts as sort of a documentary film. You know, is a filmmaker infiltrating a space and documenting something mm-hmm. a la uh Wiseman, a Frederick Wiseman documentary, where mm-hmm. he's just sort of a, a fly on the wall. He's he's not giving active interviews, he's just sort right. of observing. You are documenting that is a documentary. Does something like Last Week Tonight or the Tonight, or you know, the daily show where people are sort of giving scripted lectures or uh, commentary to a camera does that count as a documentary because not necessarily that's scripted well it's also the news in a yeah, way it's, that's
0: kind of very specific so i
1: think that it's also comedy yeah. and
0: i think first off when we come to genre distinctions like this mm. uh, we've talked about this before i think we even talked about it recently uh the like this sort of like need For us to categorize this is a documentary, Hmm. this isn't a documentary, this is a horror movie, this isn't a horror movie, uh, is, I think, very misguided. And I think what it boils down to is, can you reasonably call it a documentary? Then I'm fine with calling it a documentary. Can you reasonably call uh... it a horror movie? Then it's a horror movie because we don't have to find only one geographic place to put it in a video store anymore. (laughs) They can just have – because very few movies, if any, exist only within one genre. Mm -hmm. like look at hamilton it's a musical it's a drama it's uh uh it's a biopic um hell and if you want to look at it as a documentary it is a documentary because they documented the
1: stage show or you could call it a concert film or you Uh, could call it a concert these are all Um, perfectly reasonable uh uh, descriptors why do we need such a complex taxonomy it's just the way our brains work uh i think human beings are more comfortable with complex taxonomy and I think the issue that's going on here is because theaters are closed and because, and we've mentioned this before, the medium through which you consume movies is the exact same medium through which you consume television and YouTube videos. You can just turn on one television and get all of these things, that the only distinction between these things now is purely aesthetic. Well, it's It has a lot less to do with the technology with which it was made or mm-hmm. its original venue if it had one or you know its original time slot or its the construction around it all of these things are now of this gigantic video uh, i don't want to say blob because i don't want to say i don't want to sound critical of this phenomenon mm-hmm. uh, but they are of just one gigantic chunk that's coming at you all at once well yeah but I, so mm. uh so distinguishing is helping us keep things straight while we get used to this gigantic massive sea change that's only happened within the last decade.
0: Fair enough, but Mm. I do think the time is past for us to get over ourselves because uh, let's leave out the difference between uh, like a feature film and serialized television or short films because that's a matter of duration and how many chapters they are going to be released separately and Mm. do they exist as autonomous units. Let's ignore that for a second. Let's just look at a feature length film. Okay. Okay, let's look at something like Scoob. <laughs> Must we? <laughs> <laughs> well, just for an example. Yeah, yeah. That was supposed to go to theaters. Mm-hmm. That was the plan. That was the intention, and they would have done it if it wasn't for COVID. Mm. It ended up going straight to streaming. Does that make it a straight-to-video film? Does it even matter if it's a straight-to-video film? Because for me, and this is something that I've been a big proponent of uh on our podcast where we try to give equal weight to Theatrical releases, straight-to-video releases, and even TV movies, when we can make the time for them. Mm. Uh, they're all movies. And if you say that only the films that get released in theaters are real movies, which I say with massive air quotes, mm. it's incredibly arbitrary because the vast majority of the time, of, a, of the life cycle, of any film, it will be viewed at home. Mm. OK, look at something like Christopher Nolan's Tenet, which they keep holding off. They really want to release it in theaters because it was uh, filmed for theaters. Chris Nolan is very much a uh, proponent of that technology and yeah, that the, venue. Yeah, yeah. yeah to, a, to an almost maddening degree at this point. But whatever, that's his prerogative. He can hold off and release it in theaters if he wants. But here's the thing. The, there will be people who see that movie in theaters. There will be more people who don't. Mm-hmm. future generations people who just miss it in theaters or are too nervous about the pandemic and i don't blame them will eventually see it at home if the movie doesn't work at home the movie doesn't work mm-hmm. like that's where it's gonna mm-hmm. live so does it really matter if it played in theaters for a couple of months it, it, it matters to christopher nolan oh, of course clearly. it matters to yeah. christopher nolan. and i think and i still for the record i think that a decent movie theater with the proper lighting and, mm. and uh, then sound, and and sound, yeah a, a any halfway decent movie theater is better than any home presentation. I still stand by that. It is still, I think, the best way to see a movie. Yeah. It is not, however, the only way to see a movie, and it isn't even the most likely way to see a movie.
1: Mm-hmm. Because but no but, one has the time to see everything, do they? And, well, and especially right, not right now. Yeah. And if we're looking into a future where there are fewer and fewer multiplexes, mm-hmm. because it's looking like a lot of these theater chains are going to close down because of the, the pandemic... And we only have some second-run theaters. We have a lot more repertory programming, mm-hmm. and maybe a few gigantic movie palaces in big cities. Yeah. Then we're going to have a lot fewer films, aren't we? And Probably. I think. And uh, I remember uh, when Spielberg started to, to try to really draw the line in the sand. What is the difference between a film and a, and a TV show? And he said that f- all the films released on Netflix doesn't matter their length, doesn't matter their intention. Those are TV movies because uh-huh. they're released at home. And he was trying to uh, stand up for the theatrical experience, which a lot of filmmakers do, which a lot of critics do, because we value the theatrical experience.
0: It's, but, it's my understanding, I mean, by the way, that Spielberg's take on that was blown a little out of proportion.
1: Of course it was, and, yeah. a, and a lot of people, you know, started, you know, clutching their pearls over yeah. the, this definition he gave. And I think what he, what is he was highlighting, and I think he was sort of lamenting the fact that you know films only belong in theaters and TV movies belong on TV. And I think he was openly acknowledging that we are actually going to have less movies. Yeah. Movies as we know them are going to shrink as an art form and TV movies as we know them are only going to keep growing. Yeah. So when it comes to like, well, what about the Oscars? Only give Oscars to the ones that were released in theaters. What if there are only 10 movies? Those are what you choose from. Yeah, the the just the pool is going a weird to shrink, year, isn't it? Like the here's... pool is just going to shrink, and I think Spielberg was saying, well, yes, the pool is going to shrink, and that's the reality." I, of I the
0: think thing. it's also worth noting that that conversation that mm. was being had, whether Spielberg actually said all of that or mm. only said one sentence to that effect, I don't know all the details, but that whole conversation about what is or is not a movie or a TV movie. It, they're all movies. I think we can all agree on that. The question isn't whether they're movies. The question is a matter of eligibility. And yeah. if you're not voting for the Academy Awards or voting for the Emmys or you may be someone who works at or, you know, uh, plays trivia at the movie Trivia Schmodown, hmm. I think it's irrelevant. They're all movies. Hmm. And if you want to say TV is just serialized movies, that's fine too. I'm not going to fight you on that. I don't think it's an important distinction. Mm. We say it for the sake of clarity so that we know when we're Mm. talking about something where it can be found or how long it is, but that's not the issue. The issue is what films are eligible for the Oscars and what films are eligible for can. Mm. And that's really only important to the Oscars and can there. I just read apparently that because of minutia in the Academy rules, Hamilton is not eligible for the Academy Awards this year, that's in good. any category. Yeah,
1: because staged film productions, then this has been a rule for a long time, yeah. actually. They don't if count you as film, documentaries, yeah, film, so they don't count as you, films. You, you film as a stage production, that's a film stage production, not a movie.
0: Yeah, I disagree
1: with that yeah. in, tr- in the
0: larger scale, hmm. because of course it's a movie. It's a feature-length presentation of a narrative that was shot on film. I don't think it needs to be any more complicated than that. Yeah. Is it eligible for the Oscars? I think it should be, but if they say not... Okay,
1: that's a a shame. The little performances, I think, at least deserve to be nominated. But well, here's the thing. That production we saw already won a bunch of Tonys. I know. It's been awarded. It doesn't need Oscars, too. We're good with Hamilton. We
0: just uh, uh, we I think one of, if not the last episode we did of our Patreon podcast, Only the Best, Mm. where we review every single film ever nominated for Best Picture, we reviewed the original version of Pygmalion. Uh, The original film version of Pygmalion, rather, uh, which would eventually be remade as a musical into My Fair Lady, which Mm. is pretty much universally considered one of the best musicals ever. And Mm. I'm not going to dispute that. I love that musical. I also almost prefer the original movie with Leslie Howard. However, one of the interesting bits of trivia I found is that that screenplay won an Academy Award and... George Bernard Shaw was offended. He was like, this isn't new. You're giving me, I wrote this decades ago and you're just giving me an award for it now? You hacks.
1: So like that, I, I, that could have been the argument as well.
0: It's just so I, old. Is In fact, it still I, a thing? But, I remember
1: a uh, uh, mild outrage. It wasn't a big thing. But when uh, Kenneth Branagh was nominated for best original screenplay back uh, in the late 90s, adapted screenplay, adapted screenplay for uh, adapting Hamlet to the mm-hmm. big screen. And the shtick with that production was that he left in the entire text of the play. Yeah. And a lot of people are saying, well, if you just... Turn in your folder's copy of Shakespeare and say, <laughs> I wrote this. Of course, you're going to get an award. To, to be it's fair, Hamlet.
0: <laughs> to be fair, that's true. Also, though, also, the adaptation they, process involves deciding a lot where, more yeah, than that, yeah. deciding in what context the stories take place because mm-hmm. Shakespeare was notoriously sparse with his stage direction. Mm-hmm. Um, so he actually did a lot of work on that. He, but
1: yeah, he, it's, still, he, it's still basically he, Shakespeare. He did. I, I don't agree with that outrage. <laughs> yeah. But yeah,
0: it's like. I, I don't think he should have won because uh, fundamentally he did just leave the text in, but a nomination doesn't piss me off. It's kind of funny. Mm-hmm. Uh, No,
1: and also that's such an amazing production. Just give it as many awards as you like. Uh, I fucking
0: love that movie so
1: much. Um, We're we're going off on tangents here, but uh, but I I feel like it's okay to bicker about taxonomy because there's never going to be a concrete answer, especially now that technology is changing so quickly. I think the only Uh, issue
0: with arguing about taxonomy is when you say, this is my opinion and it's right. It's not. It's just taxonomy.
1: <laughs> well, you can say, this is my opinion, and it's right. And I'll just stand right next to you and say, well, this is my opinion and it's well, right. So, I, and that's fine. The thing you know. is
0: if you start like taking it personal and saying like, you don't know anything. Like, no, oh, they probably
1: know a lot. They just disagree about what's and, significant and, in the taxonomy. And, and let's continue to have this argument and have this conversation because we do need to start having some kind of distinctions uh, just because that's the way humanity operates. Okay. I think the more... the the, the more labels we have, the more we tend to see.
0: Okay. Out of curiosity, mm. just because, as I said, taxonomy, for I, I personally believe that now, mm. when we can just label, give anything a million labels, because everything falls into multiple genres or yeah. whatever, um, the only significant purpose for this kind of taxonomy is eligibility. So I'm just curious. Yeah. I think I've made it clear mm. in my piece. I think mm-hmm. Hamilton should be eligible for the Oscars. It's yeah. not, but it should be. And I think Hamilton should be eligible for the Schmodown. It's my understanding that it is. Mm-hmm. However, I'm sure that's up for some debate. Do you think it should well, be eligible for the Oscars and the Schmodown? Uh,
1: yes for the Schmodown, no for the Oscars. Okay. Uh, I, I think a, a state a film stage production is a stage production. It's a, a way for a film audience to catch up on a stage production. Mm. So but you don't think
0: this count like concert film should be qualifying for at least mm. a documentary?
1: Uh, there's one concert film that rides the line, and that's Metallica Through the Never, because mm. that's a concert film with fictional elements throughout that are okay. incorporated into the music. So, th- like I said, it's on the line. You can well, argue either way.
0: I gotta. I know yeah. this is—we're getting off on a tangent here. What constitutes a concert film?
1: Uh, if if you're just filming a concert, sign of the times. So concert you're film,
0: filming a concert or a production or anything on a stage. Yeah. A Night at the Garden was nominated for an Academy Award. Mm-hmm. They literally just filmed that Nazi rally at.
1: The garden. That's true, and there. Well, then there's this this notion of, uh, and then you can get into a much more abstract argument as to yeah. what constitutes uh, art. Uh, and I, that was, yeah, that was just. Um, it was found. It was found footage. Basically. It, it was found footage, but it wasn't edited documentary film. It wasn't just like like locking a camera down and sort of moving. Well, neither was Hamilton. Hamilton
0: didn't lock a camera down either. Hamilton did the work. I'm just saying. Mm. I think
1: there's. I think there's definitely a line yeah, that I think uh, even the uh, academy isn't 100 percent on. I think there's, again, this is very abstract, but there's an ele- an, a weird element of objectivity that I, I would have to be a lot smarter to more, uh, more correctly define, mm. uh, involved with one and not the other. Yeah. Um, but again, that, that could be seen as completely arbitrary. And I'm sure a lot of listeners are saying, no, that's arbitrary right now, kind of banging yeah. their fists on their desks. And if you are, good for you. Uh, <laughs> be good to your desk. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Your desk has a lot of work. Uh,
1: As for the Schmodown, I think the Schmodown deals a lot more fast and loose with just sort of what's known and popular as opposed to what's technically a feature film. Yeah. Uh, And, and a big element of all of this comes down to, I know it when I see it, which is, you know, what's a TV show? What's a movie? Well, I know it when I see it. Yeah, I think it's pretty straightforward, but anyway,
0: um, uh, yeah. So anyway, I hope we, I hope we tackled that question as best we could. I think there are some easy answers, but in some respects, mm -hmm we're all just trying to categorize stuff that no longer is rigidly codified if it yeah, ever was. Yeah. So it's it's all blurring,
1: and I think we just kind of have to get used to that. Mm. Yeah, we have to find footing in the blur. And if mm-hmm. films yeah. as a narrow definition uh, begins to shrink as a medium then maybe that's something we just have to face. Yeah, that's a thing. Yeah. It'll, it'll grow and evolve. and If we're changing changing what start... a movie is and everything becomes TV, then, well, that's just what everything is now. Yeah, if you start saying, oh, Hamilton isn't a film, great. Watch it. Yeah, watch it anyway. <laughs> it's still good. Like um...
0: Eventually, your kids won't give a shit. Mm. They'll say it's a film. It'll be fine. Yeah, Let's you, move on.
1: You think Gen Z cares? No. no. Uh, anyway, here's a letter from Justin. Uh, Dear Bibs and Rockmeister Paper Scissors. I like that. <laughs> it's fun. Uh, Amazon's streaming recommendation engine hit me with the right thing at the right time, a movie called Supervan. Yay, Supervan. Have I seen Supervan? I've seen Supervan, uh, which introduced me to the subgenre of van exploitation movies. <laughs> the community standards for what PG meant in the 1970s is strikingly different. Uh, this PG movie has Charles Bukowski himself judging a wet t-shirt contest. <laughs> It is just all around Madcap 1970s energy. What? I'm looking forward to the other half a dozen films in the subgenre, because they all have weird gems like The Van, featuring Danny DeVito after one flew over the cuckoo's nest, but right before Taxi. Are you familiar with Vansploitation? Or do you have another micro genre that is worth checking out? Uh best regards Justin. So Vansploitation, as I understand
0: it, I have heard this term before. Uh it's basically any movie in which a van drives the action. Ha <laughs> <laughs> but, but basically, is there a van? Is it super important that there's a
1: van? It's van exploitation. Rock on. Um, uh, eh? v- there was a time, to- there's a reason why you see vans uh, being driven by like weirdos and wastoids in <laughs> movies, because it, it is born of this entire van culture that came into being at some point in the late 1960s. Um, I wasn't around at the time, but I was around to see the vans. I was born in the late <laughs> 70s and those vans were still on the road. And there's a lot of jokes about a guy who drives a van and how he's kind of a sleaze because the van clearly is constructed with a bed in the back. And so he can take dates to uh, mm-hmm. a drive in movie and, and just as an excuse to have sex and. Uh, a van was considered like a little miniature party on wheels if you yeah. didn't have a place to party. It was a little, there's a lot of, of vans with shag carpeting and special lighting. Shag carpeting special on the sounds, walls. That's sound systems, Have you ever seen yeah. the
0: original Captain America live action feature films that were made for TV?
1: That's Captain America and he has a van. He
0: has a van with like <laughs> eagles painted on the side yeah. and shag carpeting in the van. And there's way too much footage of that van. Like, the first film opens with, like, what feels like a five-minute sequence of just Captain America, just not even Captain America yet, just some guy Hmm. driving a van. Yeah.
1: That's it. Get used to that. So so It's boring as hell. Vans were uh, for, like, sleazes roadies uh, Mm -hmm. who, like, would haul gear for a band. Yeah. uh, Or, yeah, like... Drifters, like romantic mm. drifters, yeah, because because cool. you can sleep in the back of a van. It was this all all important uh, hip vehicle. And Super Van is about a super van. Cool. It's about a gigantic super duper van. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Does this have uh, it anything was, to do with the long long trailer? Um, you know what? I guess could, the long, long trailer could be seen as maybe a a precursor to the van exploitation subgenre. Mm-hmm.
0: It's a Lucille Ball and Desi Arnaz, mm-hmm. and they get a really long trailer.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: That's it. That's it. It's kind of the whole movie. What was that one? It was like I think it was in the '70s, where it was like giant bus. It's like mega bus or like the biggest bus. <laughs> of, hold on, I'm gonna see if I can find okay. this. This movie's gonna drive me up the
1: wall. I think you got high and made something up Is no, what you just did
0: there. Movie about uh, really okay. long bus.
1: But yeah, the, that did spawn of the
0: big bus. It's just called the big bus. The big bus, 1976, a disaster comedy starring Joseph Bologna and
1: Stalker oh, Channing. I love Joseph Bologna and Stalker Channing.
0: I saw this on TV when I was a kid, and I, it, it, I yeah. Mm. Until I looked it up just now, no. I thought I made it up. Um, but the, yeah, it's a thing. The,
1: the super van in Supervan is like they took a real van and then they turned it into this like this science fictiony looking the super van, mm. and it was made by uh, George Barris, who designed like the Batmobile and the Monkeymobile and, and the the Munsters car. The van like, is nuclear powered. I'm sorry, it's a nuclear powered yeah. bus
0: <laughs> in the big bus, and it's called the Cyclops. Mm. <laughs> Sorry, I have to watch this movie. <laughs> I'm going to see if it's on streaming. Anyway, so, yeah, I might watch this
1: tonight. And and we still see echoes of van exploitation in movies today. I saw a movie this year called Onward. It was a Pixar film. The guy drives a van. Yeah, and he he has a name for the van, and he takes a lot of pride in his van. That's something that's left over from previous like two generations hence. Yeah, and yet we're still putting that stuff in movies. It, it's become kind of movie iconography shorthand, and uh vanhand Bi- sh- short van no short v- v- uh. no we're not doing that okay i'm sorry You're i apologize i apologize for everything it's fine we all have our regrets but yeah i, I i'm glad you brought up vansploitation because it's not something people <laughs> talk so about weird. a lot
0: because it's so weird i love please 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 if you find weird genres or weird whatever mm. we do want to hear about it you know yeah. why because what other podcast this week is talking about vansploitation we <laughs> one find one i dare you I love this podcast so much. Thank you, everybody <laughs> who writes that. Whitney, read us another letter. All
1: right. Vans split. Oh, gosh, vans. Man. Did you, did you ever it. drive in a van? No. No.
0: I mean, I might have, but I don't
1: recall with any mm. distinctive All right. so-and-so. Here's uh here's a letter from Benjamin. Hi, Benjamin. Hi, Benjamin. Uh, hello, Bibbs and Rockmeister, Rockmeister M. R-A-W-K, Rockmeister is one word. Nice. Uh, uh partially thanks to your show, I came to a realization re- uh, recently without knowing it that I'd become a huge fan of neo-noir. Oh, cool. Uh, I looked at some of my favorite films and saw things like Brick Drive and Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, and it made me really want to dive into the rest of noir as a genre. This led me to re- uh, rewatching LA Confidential with my wife, which, modern revelations aside, is still a masterpiece of a film that we both loved watching. It's still so good. That's an awesome screenplay. Um, Knowing it was a book and then I went and got the L.A. Quartet, the book series by James Elroy that included L.A. Confidential and the Black Dahlia. Uh, after finishing the book, I was so excited that there was a film version of *The Black Dahlia*. Uh oh! Oh no! Uh, that I had never heard of. No. And even more, that it was directed by Brian De Palma. Oh no! No, uh, it's and, not. No. It has an amazing cast of Josh Hartnett, Aaron Eckhart, Scarlett Johansson, and Hilary Swank. I patiently waited my Blu-ray's arrival, and I was sure I had a new secret gem of a film coming my way. Sure, the reviews weren't great, but neo-nars and Nisha genre in 2006, I was sure they just didn't appreciate it on the level I would. Then I watched the film. <laughs> <Uh-oh. sighs> the- The first half was pretty good, but at the midway point, the train went off the rails and it was a slow, painful descent to the end. Not only did they gloss over some of the great story of the novel, but there were just some horrible choices that really changed the feel of the ending to the story. All of this is to say... What films have personally disappointed you the most? Oh. A movie where the source material was great and the director was the perfect choice. The cast was excellent, and yet somehow the total was so much less than the sum of its parts. Thank you so much for your wonderful work. Sincerely, Benjamin. Hashtag keep it 100 lives of blackjack savage.
0: Well, the Black Dahlia comes to mind. Um, <laughs> if you're Bla- familiar yeah, with it, the, uh, the it, Black Dahlia was it was a real life murder, hmm. uh, famously unsolved. Uh, and it was really gruesome. It was just this woman's her body was found and it was Horrible things that happen. I'm not going to ruin your day by going into details, but um, it's just one of those crimes that ends up sort of like becoming tied into a very specific era. Sort of like Zodiac in that regard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just this is the crime of Los Angeles of this sort of set of years. And so there have been other attempts, I think, to turn it into a film. James Elroy is uh, very much an L.A. historian and also an L.A. mythologizer. Hmm. So it makes sense to adapt his novel. It makes sense to get Brian De Palma, who is not only, at least Hmm. can be, a great filmmaker, but he's also very much obsessed with cinema and cinema history. So doing a story that takes place in Hollywood and a story that has connections mm-hmm. to other movies thematically and otherwise. I, mean, I
1: had to look up the neighborhood. She was killed in Limert Park. Uh, the yeah. victim was named Elizabeth Short, but yeah. she, she was nicknamed the Black Dahlia because of the, the M.O. of the killer.
0: Yeah, and, uh, and she was an aspiring actress mm-hmm. as well, so there were investigations into Hollywood and, yeah, that movie just stinks out loud. It's just one of those ones where, man, the, you're right, the pieces are all there. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a great story that uh, Bruce Campbell tells. Mm -hmm. We're talking about how, you know, movies are more than just getting the right pieces together. There's a certain alchemy involved. And he said, what do you you get when you take the writer of Jurassic Park... Hmm. And like the star of all of these hit oh, movies, I've,
1: I've, I've heard him gi- yeah. give this. Yeah, it's like okay, I, I have a pitch for you, and we're just going to yeah. construct something. Okay, we're going to make an adventure film. Good, 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 good. It's the writer of Jurassic Park. Oh, great, great. This is really wonderful. And uh, what were some of the stars he ma- mentioned? Yeah, you, got, like, you got
0: like uh, Laura Linney
1: and Tim Curry. And, yeah, like a really great Delroy Lindo, and I'm going to be in it too. It's like, oh, this is great. You're making this wonderful movie. Yeah, and uh, on oh, and, and who's the director? Um, oh, was it Frank? Was it Frank Marshall who did that?
0: Was it? Oh, I'm trying to remember. I don't want to ruin the movie yeah. by Because <laughs> well, it, it's
1: the punchline. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Uh, let me look it up the, was... Yeah, Frank Marshall. It was Frank it was Marshall. Marshall, yeah. Yeah, it was produced by Kathleen Kennedy, and it was written by the guy who wrote the play Doubt and Moonstruck, like the screenplay was written by that yeah. guy, the book was written by the guy who wrote uh, Jurassic Park, Michael Crichton, and the movie you just made is Congo. <laughs> Congo sucks. And Congo was one of those ones I that got built up too, a lot. Yeah. They, but they, they got built up a lot because uh. that was a good pedigree. And everyone was like, oh shit, this movie's going to be a big deal. And then you realize, it's a stupid fucking story. It's not Michael Crichton's most interesting work. And the movie is... They tried, but it was really bad. <laughs> it's a bad film. You made a bad film, beating. <laughs> Um, Yeah, I'm trying to think. There's a lot of movies that I think I was super excited about Hmm. But one of those elements wasn't right. Like uh, when M. Night Shyamalan did Avatar The Last Airbender. He called it The Last Airbender. I think that's one of the best TV series of the 21st century. I I know you're a big fan. I know that there's a lot of things that that could, that thing could have looked incredibly cool. And I know that say what you will about M. Night Shyamalan, he's actually very masterful at putting something together visually. Mm -hmm. He picks a good DP. They work together. His stories are told in a very distinct visual style. Uh, I've liked or loved the way all of his movies looked, even the ones I don't like, Mm -hmm. except maybe Glass, which just looks too cheap. Mm -hmm. But, like, seriously, The Village looks amazing. That's an Mm -hmm. amazing-looking movie. Lady in the Water is gorgeously photographed. So I was like, okay, well, maybe we can get, like, a handsome production with some cool fight choreography and, no, everything looks terrible and stupid. Like, everything looks really bad and the action sequences are, are really disappointing. And Ooh, that one. (laughs) <laughs> that would hurt my feelings
1: I'm mm, sorry
0: um, I'm trying to think What else What else was there, like A massive letdown Planet of the Apes Was initially a letdown The Tim Burton one.
1: Oh yeah That was yeah. supposed to be
0: A big deal And there's still things In that movie I really like Like the makeup effects Are impeccable Yeah Um, And I kind of appreciate That they had a point to it Even though it's Kind of awkwardly handled But yeah The movie doesn't work mm. Wait, can you think of anything else that got your hopes up? I try not to get um, my hopes up about movies now, but when yeah. I was younger, this happened a ton. Oh, well, yeah. Amazing Spider-Man. Okay. I, Spider-Man's my you favorite superhero.
1: I, I was so bummed out by that movie. You know, I was bummed out by Sam Raimi's Spider-Man. Um, <sighs> that was uh, it, it, that was a time when I was like... I. I wasn't reading comics anymore, but I had only given up kind of recently, so I still had like a lot of affection for the Spider-Man character. Mm-hmm. I had a Spider-Man T-shirt, which I wore to the movie on opening night, and I watched this movie, and it was just this blah, flat thing. Mm-hmm. It's like this is like not interesting. Yeah. How did you take Spider-Man and make him not interesting? And why does you the do how this? did uh, why why does the costume look so bad?
0: I actually disagree with you uh, on that one. But, I like that movie a lot, but I see your point.
1: Yeah, like you, how how is it you oh, you made. Me. You know, like as soon as Peter Parker becomes Spider Man, he becomes like more boring. It's like, that, <laughs> how, how'd you do that? It shouldn't like Spider Man be the exciting part. And yeah, I didn't like the costume design. I didn't like the pacing on that <sighs> thing. And I You're I, my soul. I saw it with a big group of friends. It's like, okay, I, I get it. And I waited through the credits and they all left because so, that was my habit. And I walked out in the alleyway afterwards and they were all gathering about and they're saying, hey, if we get in our cars right now and rush across to Westwood, we can watch it again. I was like, <laughs> I want to take my shirt off because I don't like this movie. And You want to take your shirt cause off? Because I was wearing the uh, the Spider-Man shirt. Oh, like, okay. You need that context. Okay. Otherwise, it's just a weird it's sentence.
0: It's like I, I
1: wanted to remove the Spider-Man from my body. <laughs> I was not having fun with Spider-Man anymore. It's like, who are you aliens who found that thing exciting? But the film was a big hit, so I don't know. Yeah. Um uh, yeah, what was uh, we recently uh watched a uh a film version of from the nineteen thirties of Romeo and Juliet. Oh yeah, and that had uh, a great cast. Yeah, it had uh, Norma Shearer's Juliet, who mm-hmm. I had recently fallen in love with. She's just such a wonderful actress. And uh, and was it Leslie Howard as Romeo? I think it was. Yeah, yeah. it's yeah. Leslie Howard. So these are great actors playing Romeo and Juliet. They're you know I think a little too old for the roles, but whatever. I think they
0: were significantly too old. Uh,
1: for the roles. Yeah, they're they're supposed to be teenagers, but they're, they're adults. Okay, they're like maybe, in their mid
0: thirties. May, maybe
1: this is a new take on Romeo and Juliet. What would it look like if they weren't <laughs> impulsive kids? What would it look yeah. like if they were adults, and they knew that they were putting things in jeopardy. No, it turns out that was just a really shitty production. It's
0: really bad. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's like astoundingly bad, actually. Like because he, he they, got they,
1: they add scenes with like these comic sidekicks. Oh my and god, adds, Andy Devine. I'm yeah. sorry, it was never funny.
0: He was never funny. I don't know why people thought Andy Devine was funny. I
1: don't get it. <laughs> and Yeah, they had this, like, yeah. buffoonish country bumpkin sidekick. Yeah, it's and, Andy like, Devine. And they, don't, they don't need that in Romeo and Juliet. It, it's
0: it's on a total watch. I think Basil Rathbone is actually a pretty good Tybalt. And I found myself, even though he's also way too old for the role, I thought John Barrymore was actually a fun uh, okay. Mercutio. Playing Mercutio as, like, your drunk uncle, as opposed to, like, your rascally, like, teenage friend. Uh-huh. I thought that was an okay take on it but the movie is slow it has terrible comic relief and they fight so hard to keep it in there and I'm like it's Romeo and Juliet it's not that funny like you're really forcing this like oh it's terrible you're right that's a good example that, yeah. that, that movie's just
1: well, I'm not a big fan of of Romeo and Juliet generally speaking but I am a huge Shakespeare nerd so uh, any production that I haven't seen before especially a high end one that I finally got to catch up on I was really looking forward to that one Yeah, Uh, just because what can you do with Shakespeare turns out you can kind of whiff it
0: oh it's easy to whiff it yeah
1: Yeah, yeah. I feel that way about a lot of Shakespeare movies actually it's like oh this one really nailed it Kenneth Branagh has nailed it multiple times Sure, he's also whiffed it a couple times Love's Labor's Lost sucks I don't know if it sucks no it sucks I think it's I think it's a cute example Experiment. It's it's a fun idea, but it's just such a drag. to get the, there are
0: bits of it that I like so much that elevates the film.
1: Yeah, Brenna's loves *Labor's Lost*. He decided to set it in the forties and he decided to make it a musical uh, with nothing but like nineteen forties standards and musicals, like Cole for, like, Porter and Irving Berlin yeah, music. Yeah,
0: yeah. Um, some of the musical sequences are really cute. Um, yeah. I, in particular, I like Timothy Spall's. Uh, I get a kick out of you.
1: Oh, yeah, that's a that fun bit. Good.
0: Um, but but um, Alicia,
1: He let the actor sing Alicia Silverstone I'm, she, Not a great singer Not a great singer Not a great singer I think she would admit as much And uh, Yeah So that that one kind of Wasn't on the ball
0: No it's, it's, it's a failed experiment But I think it's Kind of a fun experiment I, I forgot
1: the name so, uh, of the director But that really uh, Wretched Macbeth From like 2013 With Michael oh, Fassbender Oh God. Also really let me down
0: I don't know why people Like mm. that movie so much mm. That movie it, It's um who was it? It was Justin Kurtzel who would okay. go on to direct Michael Fossbender in the even worse adaptation of Assassin's Creed. Um, that is a good-looking movie, that Macbeth. I will not deny that. That's oh. a cool-looking film. But it's emotionally one-note. And really, only uh, uh, Marion Cotillard is bringing her whole A game to this. Yeah. She's really good in it. But, ooh, that movie hurt my soul. <laughs> I made my worst of the year list. That was bad. Anyway, we should move on. Uh, what's a nice? Let's read another letter. Hopefully, that gives you mm-hmm. some examples of movies that disappointed us.
1: Okay. Um, let me find. You can notes. do it. I was I was looking for a letter. Uh, this one was quite quite long. Um, here's a letter from Canadian Cam. Oh hi, hi Canadian Cam. Uh, dear Wibbs and Bitney, uh, I've been a Star Wars fan for most of my life, and I've only recently gotten into Star Trek recently because of COVID. I watched all the Star Wars films numerous times and watched the Kelvin films, and I'm currently 22 episodes into the original series. I recently became a patron and I'm really enjoying All Our Yesterdays. Oh, thank, thank you. you for becoming a patron. Uh, uh, if uh, you're wait.
0: new or don't know our Patreon, All Our Yesterdays is a podcast where uh, Whitney and I are watching and reviewing every single episode of Star Trek in production order. We're most of the way through season two of the original series, and we do a new episode every week.
1: So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and uh, yeah, we're up to. Uh, Journey to Babel. That's, that's our next next episode. Yep, that's where we first so, as, meet
0: Spot's parents.
1: Um, I became more interested in Star Trek after the Star Wars fandom became more toxic, yeah. uh, specifically after The Last Jedi. The Last Jedi is my second favorite Star Wars movie after The Empire Strikes Back. I know it's a divisive film, but going after actors and creators and verbally assaulting them is never okay. Needless to say, I'm enjoying Star Trek a lot so far and I now refer to myself as a truckie. Cool. And look forward to the many years of watching all the content Star Trek has to offer. Why do some people not understand you can like more than one sci-fi friend <laughs> <laughs> which which is uh, more your favorite Star Trek and Star Wars content movie or series? Thank you for answering my letter, Canadian Cam. Um,
0: that's a that's a fun question. Uh to answer your first bit, which is why is there such like why are there camps? Hmm. Of people who like one thing and um, they get really competitive with other like franchises or sometimes it's actual just products like, oh, no. I have a Nintendo. Well, I have a Sega Genesis. Well, you're the worst human being
1: who ever lived. Like, I, I always thought those kinds of rivalries were in good fun until Twitter came along. Oh, and no, then they the, were never
0: in good fun. Never never no, When I was a kid, like a, was, people I, would fight each other. I had, like an, I had lost a Nintendo. Teeth.
1: Some of my friends had a Gen- Genesis. And it's like, well, we're just having different experiences. No, no, no. Uh, no. Sonic is so much better than Mario. Whatever. I like I've Mario had, better. I've had
0: hours of debates about Sonic versus Mario. Mm. To an embarrassingly old age, I have had these debates, or at least witnessed them. And it's like the in your
1: 30s you're still having these conversations. I, we are. We're still uh. talking
0: about maybe not Sonic and Mario so much because Sonic isn't like the, the sort of key figure in pop culture that he used to be. But in the nineties, he was the, he was the other mm. Mario and Mickey mouse. He was like it in the, could, it could be, pent- arc- I, I,
1: I don't agree with this, but it could be
0: argued he has a better movie. I actually still haven't seen the Sonic a Hedgehog. Movie, oh, no. So I, I can't say that, but maybe, um, but regardless, I think it boils down to two things. Uh, on one hand, there is a purely practical mercenary reason, which is people don't have necessarily the time to dedicate to learning everything about everything so mm-hmm. at some point you pick your battle and yeah. you say like i'm gonna i've dedicated so much time to star wars i don't have time to catch up on 20 seasons of star trek so i've seen what i've seen and if what i've seen didn't make me want to watch more star trek star trek must suck or vice versa like yeah. it both works either way the other thing is people are just competitive yeah they yeah, are it's, they, it's, they look it's, at it's, people uh, who deal with sports whether you're into you sports your or not, team, people are you competitive. Get, you
1: get into that tribalism thing pretty easily. Yeah, if you're not into a sports team, you're into a, a, a media franchise. Yeah, some or, or a musical uh, genre yeah, or yeah, something. Even within, like, bands. Oh, well, I, I think the Black Album is great. Well, I think yeah. it's Kill 'Em All. How dare
0: you? I um, love... Will you ever get a chance to just know... some If you know someone who has totally different interests than you, ask them if you can see their Twitter feed. Because (laughs) people Different Twitter feeds Are entirely Different universes And Mm -hmm. if I see someone I know who's like Into not so much movies But like Writing and knitting Knitting Twitter Is a thing I assure you (laughs) I get just as heated Every Uh, Twitter group
1: Gets heated About stuff that Anyone else would go Who cares A a lot of this stuff uh, It gets really heated In those like Really like Shit gutters of the internet Like 4chan Uh, uh, Where people actually Do try to like deliberately harm people in the real world absolutely because of these stupid rival rivalries Uh, don't go to 4chan just don't don't go (laughs) just don't (laughs) go there that's where the, the most horrible bits of humanity. Sure, maybe there's mm. some good things going on in there, but it's not worth it. Like
0: if you have a playful rivalry mm. and everyone's on good terms and you can just sort of mm. talk about it, I prefer Star Trek. I prefer Star Wars. Or Let's have a
1: debate. Or if, it, yeah, or if it's a heated debate, because I, yeah. I have to answer your question. I have been a Trekkie par excellence for my whole life, mm. and I have gotten into plenty of uh, heated debates and arguments with friends, friendly yeah. debates, but, you know, heated. Uh, about which is the superior one? Why do we p- compare the two? Because the names are similar. That's really the only reason. Well,
0: no, yeah. it's because they're, they're science fiction franchises that kind of dominate the marketplace. There's a ton of different mm. movies and That's, TV series and, and, about yeah, both, both. They and, both have a, a certain
1: amount of clout.
0: Yeah, they're just they're mm. they're as sci-fi goes. Mm-hmm. They're more popular and ubiquitous and although there are other sci-fi franchises, mm. n- very few of them have like the mainstream awareness that Star Trek mm-hmm. and Star Wars do. Yeah, like, it, it, they're, they're the big two. Yeah, I think it's I, I
1: had I had an old friend of mine who liked to describe himself as being sci-fi in that he goes both ways. Uh, yeah. that, it wasn't that cute. Um. Uh, yeah, I think Star Trek and Star Wars do, however, tend to attract different kinds of audiences, at least outside of like the Kelvin stuff. Because uh, mm. Star Trek generally speaking, uh, tends to be a little bit more science-based. It takes place in the future, so it's a little bit more uh, speculative uh, rather than uh, nostalgic. Uh, It tends to be a lot more... Intellect, character, and story-driven rather than action-driven, which is what Star Wars is. Star Wars is about, uh, you know, it takes its, its inspiration from old action serials and cliffhangers. So there is a lot of uh, to-do in Star Wars. Yeah, whereas you can have a fascinating episode of Star
0: Trek mm-hmm. in which actually very little happens. There really isn't a, that much of a corollary yeah. in Star Wars. There's usually more of an event. It's a bit more popcorn Yeah. Which okay. is why it's always funny when, like, the biggest Trek movies are the ones that feel more popcorn-y. Like it's Wrath of Khan long, uh, well, or First Contact or right. Star Trek like, 20, 2009.
1: What I find really curious is uh, people go to Star Trek II The Wrath of Khan saying, oh, that's a really great action picture. Is it? There's not a lot of action in that movie. No, it, it, there's it, it, there's right. there's a starship battle at the end, but they stage it as if it's a submarine battle. They move very slowly. Mm-hmm. They can barely see each the other. And why, each hit matters. The
0: reason why it feels like a, like a great action movie mm-hmm. is because The conflict is so strong. The stakes are so high. The characters are so big. The characters are so big and they're responding in really, really big ways. Uh, And yeah, there's only like the one really big action sequence and it is played very differently than almost any other action sequence of the era. But it feels like you went through this big epic journey in battle. Mm. One of our favorite adventure movies from the last 20 years is master and commander, the far side of the world. Oh golly. Yes. It's an incredible adventure. There's only like two action sequences in it, mm. but they, it, but the reason why it feels such like such an adventure is it earns it. So every once in a while, Star Trek will indeed do an action packed thing. They'll do a balance of terror episode of the original series. It's still mm. one of my favorite uh, ones. They'll do a first contact or Star mm. Trek 2009. Um, But the baseline of Star Trek is always thoughtfulness, intellect, politics, Mm -hmm. humanity, issues of philosophy and ethics, and there are certain people who find that more captivating than lots of bombastic adventure. And that's not to say that Star Wars isn't also intelligent, full of great characters. It has that, too. But clearly, when it comes to an entertainment entity, its emphasis is elsewhere.
1: Yeah, and I, I, depending on what kind of person you are will depend mm. on what you respond most strongly to.
0: So I, I, I think you said it, but just mm. to, to clarify, uh, if you had to pick one, mm. are you a Trekkie or a Warzy? Oh, definitely.
1: Well, you know the answer to that. I just wanted to hear for no, the record. I, yeah, no, most certainly a Trekkie. I've always yeah. been... I. I f- This may just be a result of uh, what I grew up watching because I grew up watching Star Trek and I didn't see Star Wars until after I graduated high school. Yeah. Uh, And uh, also, but a lot of it could be just the kind of kid I was. I I was drawn to a lot more cerebral kind of intellectual entertainments at the time. You know, uh, when I liked comedies, I liked comedies that sort of broke the fourth wall. Yeah. So, you know, kind of intellectually deconstructing the very notion of cinema was something i was really getting into at like age eight so i'm mm. watching space balls dozens of times it's weird
0: because when i was growing up my brother was super into star wars he was actually mm. like old enough when the original star wars came out that it like made him go starry-eyed and go oh cinema and it was this huge obsession and probably still is like mm. overall um but i had this weird experience where i had actually seen like Empire and Jedi multiple times before I saw the original Star Wars. Mm-hmm. And I'd grown, I was young enough that I'd grown up and they were pretty much always around. Uh-huh. So I didn't have to discover them. They were just part of the pop culture firmament already.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, and then Star Trek was always around too. Like I was young enough when Next Generation premiered that it didn't really like blow my mind. It was just another thing that was on TV that I liked. Mm-hmm. So. Most of my life, I would say I liked both equally. I like bits and pieces of, of both, mm-hmm. um, they're, and I like them for what they each individually are. Lately, however, I find myself, and a big part of this is because we do the podcast, lately I'm more of a Trekkie. Yeah. I wouldn't call myself a Trekkie because I'm not that obsessive about it, and I know that a lot of mm-hmm. Trekkies are defined by their encyclopedic knowledge of Star Trek, but if I had to pick one or the other, I would probably enjoy watching Star Trek More often than I would watching Star Wars. Mm. Um, But there's a lot of great Star Wars out there, too. And if if anything, really, when I was a kid, the stuff I was super geeky about, like the movies I super obsessed over, like it was like the stuff that didn't end up making a huge franchise, like Mm. The Last Starfighter. Yeah. You know, Mm. like I was huge into The Last Starfighter or. Um, Excalibur, which I shouldn't have been watching, but it was edited for TV, so like the really naughty bits were like mm. trimmed down. But I loved Arthurian fantasy; like I was really into that when I mm. was a kid. I was into that way more than I was into Star Wars. Which nothing against Star Wars; it's just other stuff that I like. Yeah. yeah. So. Yeah, it's kind of interesting.
1: Mm. Mm. That, that's it's it's an age old debate, and yeah, um, yeah and, well, and, not and, age and, old; and, it's like
0: fifty years old. No, it's not even that because Star Wars is only like forty.
1: <laughs> I, yeah, I it's like so. it's like a forty three year old debate. Which which is the superior one? Yeah. Star Star Trek or Star Wars? And yeah. the answer so is one generation really. And, and the, the definitive answer is Star Trek. So uh, yeah. moving on. Well, it's
0: age old if your age is forty
1: three. Hey, I'm about to turn forty two. So well, there, there you, you go. go. So it's, Whitney's age old. <laughs> All right, we have time for one or two more. Let's uh, here, one, two here's one. a letter from Zach. Uh, hi Zach. Hi Zach. Uh, dear Bibbs and Rockmeister C-O-L oh, uh, K-O-L McCall. Okay. Uh, Every spelling is the correct spelling. That's true. Uh, As a college student about to enter his junior year, I'm wondering what you guys think is the best college experience movie. What movies best display the college experience? Obviously films like Animal House come to mind, but given the current times (laughs) it's aged poorly in in regards to its political correctness, it was never good. Um, It was was never good. And if it was ever accurate,
0: oh, that speaks really poorly of us as a culture.
1: What other movies uh, personify a college experience? Thanks for everything you do. Zach. That's Um, a fun question. I haven't revisited that in a while. It's a fun question. It's uh, also one that's always, I've always had trouble answering because I don't know if I had a unique college experience or movies are so bad at actually capturing the college experience (laughs) that I've never seen like a good college experience captured on film. Mm. Uh, There have been a few that kind of got it in terms of how varied your experience is. College right. isn't just the parties. College isn't just the dorm rooms. College no. isn't just the study. It's this huge amount of things that, you know, you're going out and you're learning new things. You're dates. In some cases you might be dating seriously for the first time. Uh, you're, you're going into classes and the classes are actually kind of exhilarating. If you're going, if your teachers are doing it right, uh, you're reading new kinds of books. You're having new kinds of conversations. Uh, It's this great time where things are really kind of exploding, and I think it's such a varied experience that it's hard to write a film about that. Yeah. Because a film... Well, it's hard
0: to write, write, like, like the ultimate film about it. Yeah,
1: like a a fictional two-and-a-half-hour feature, like, fictional feature about Mm -hmm. the college experience. So, uh, when it comes to capturing the college experience, only a few films have really kind of gotten a good taste of it, and they're kind of random. Scream 2. Kind of, kind of gets it. Take out the murders,
0: and yeah, it's pretty spot without on. Without the murders, but yeah. yeah,
1: all of the college stuff, like where they're going to hang out, the kind of conversations they're having, the age they are, the freewheeling—nobody's in the same place at the same time. I think right. that's a really important part of the college experience. It's like I'm going to go to college with all of my friends. Great. Are you taking the same classes? No, we'll never see each other.
0: <laughs>
1: it's true. And, and, the thing. and uh, Sydney, uh, the main character of that movie, is in a, a, a play, and so she has this weird. Relationship with her, uh, with the director and also with the material in the play, and she's mm. actually studying, and it becomes a big important. Well, a lot of it's about
0: balancing issues where, like, I have to balance yeah. my life
1: and there school, and that's there hard there to go. do, yeah. that's hard to capture in a film. Um, uh, another film that did it of, at around the same time, and nobody remembers this film. Mm. Uh, it's it's uh, Katie Holmes' film called Abandon. Do you remember Abandon? I remember
0: when it came out, but I didn't mm. see it.
1: Yeah, um, I saw it. Uh, it's not remarkable. Okay. But it does have that idea of...
0: It feels like college. Yeah, it feels like college. Yeah.
1: That you're... There's actually... Here's the thing. Study. There's studying going yeah. on. I, I see a lot of films about, quote, the college experience, and because of Animal House... Yeah. A movie I loathe, by the way. Yeah. I've never liked Animal
0: House. I liked the parade. Mm. That's it. Yeah. The parade is funny. Mm. There's maybe a couple funny lines in the middle. I used to be told I had to like Animal House. Like, it was expected of me. Yeah. And, yeah, I've never quite clicked with it, and I finally came to the realization the last time I watched it that, no, this movie's just mm. terrible. Like, I know it's influential, but it's not good. Hmm. Um, I have a few examples that some of them are well-known and some of them are not. Um, oh, Abandoned is a
1: Stephen Gagan film.
0: Yeah, it was, I think it was his directorial debut after yeah, he did Traffic. Yeah. Um, so um, you already spoke to some of the issues here. Uh, the movie that I think of, and I haven't revisited this one in a while, but I'll bet it holds up pretty good, uh, is a almost completely forgotten 1989 uh, sort of romantic drama called Gross Anatomy
1: oh I've seen Gross Anatomy that's yeah, yeah, it's a good one Daphne Zuniga Daphne Zuniga and, uh, yeah. and Matthew, Modine, Matthew Modine
0: and they're, uh, they're pre-med and mm. they're just uh, uh, taking their classes and they're trying to balance studying in school and th- there's like that really good scene in um Goodwill Hunting which isn't a good college movie because they get all the college stuff wrong but mm. like where Matt Damon is like... Good movie I like the movie. It's just... It's not great about, like, psychology and stuff. It's just... It's a good character piece. Um, Yeah. But uh, there's a bit where Matt Damon is trying to romance Minnie Driver. And they're really cute together. They have good chemistry. Um, And she's in college. And she's studying to be a doctor and he wants to hang out with her but she says she has to study and just do her homework so he does her homework for her mm. and she she says that's cute and does it like you know she goes to with, with him once i'm sure she did it herself but like the second time she he does it she's like you know i need to know this right <laughs> like i'm a doctor like i'm gonna need to be able to recall this information in order to save lives It's college. This isn't high school where half of the shit you're not going to need. I need literally all of this (laughs) memorized in my brain for the rest of my life. Gross Anatomy is one of the very few college movies I've ever seen which actually appreciates and understands Mm. that. And they even, like, some of the better scenes are about different studying styles. Mm. You know, where Matthew Modine, like, Daphne Zuniga's, like, pulling her hair out trying to memorize a whole book. And Matthew Modine's just like, if it's in boldface, you got to remember it.
1: <laughs> if it's not, you
0: can ignore it. Uh-huh. You just forget all about it. Um, so that's a good uh, yeah, one that that's, no one that talks about. That is a about. good one.
1: Um, in terms of, like, raunchy college comedies that deal a lot mm-hmm. with parties, yeah. Uh, Revenge of the Nerds was a big hit at the time and has aged incredibly poorly. Oh, it's despicable now. Yeah, it's, It, 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 it is, always
0: should have been, but yeah, you, you um, can't watch it now.
1: But another film in a similar vein, which is actually about smart kids who worry about study, is Real Genius. I was just about to say Real Genius. Oh, yeah. uh, Re- Real Genius, vastly superior movie, has yeah. aged better. Actually, yep. is about things that are topical today. Uh huh. And, and it's, it's really funny. It's really funny, and yeah. the the premise is it's about a, a essentially a dorm on a certain college campus full of all of the, the gifted students. Yeah, they're it's all actually- insanely insane geniuses, but at the same time. they're they're so smart that they don't have to work very hard and they're kind of bored so they just get into mischief a lot.
0: Yeah, and they're inventing weird things in their part. Uh, It's actually based very, uh, much like Big Bang Theory, it's very much inspired by the uh, realities of people who go to school at Caltech, Mm. which is one of the better scientific schools uh, in the country. And I grew up like a mile away from that. Mm. And my my parents and I would watch Real Genius and we'd go, yeah, we know those kids. Yeah. <laughs> they, they, and, yeah, they live down the street from us. We know and, all these people. And, it's and pretty it's spot on. It's about
1: a high school kid who's incredibly gifted, and he gets into this college uh, before he's you know, at a young age. And it's all about trying to do well in school. Yeah. There's all this wacky stuff, and there's a guy living in a closet, and mm. there's lasers in space. But yeah. uh, it's, ultimately,
0: it's about people who are pushing themselves mm. to be the smartest people in the world. Yeah, and yeah. Val Kilmer reached a point in his life; he plays like the main super genius. Where he's like, yeah, I know I'm smart. If I don't have a life, I'm going to lose my mind. Mm. And he's trying to get all of these people who are just losing their humanity, trying to become living computers, to relax a little. Mm -hmm. And it makes him seem like this force of anarchy when all he really wants people to do is get out once in a while (laughs) and crack a joke and it's hilarious it's so good it's a
1: really funny movie
0: Uh, one that isn't actually so much about the college experience because it all takes place just before college begins but it actually captures the sense of community uh, I think about college better than most films is the Richard Linklater film Everybody Wants Some
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. That, yeah, that's a good one. That's a good yeah, one, Yeah, that's too. a
0: period piece, and it's all about, like, there are all these uh, college students who are, like, uh, on the baseball team. And, uh, yes, I know I liked it, too, Sergio. Thank you. <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah, it's just the camaraderie and the way that, like, young people are, like, trying to connect to each other, sometimes mm. effectively, sometimes awkwardly. That movie gets it real, real well. Mm. One more film that I don't think anyone else would recommend for this, but I'm going to stand by this because I think this film has obvious flaws, but I think it's going to age better than people give it credit for. The new Black Christmas is Say what you will about the slasher plot. Say what you will about the slasher plot. I had I have some issues with the way that plot unfolds too. The way that people discuss politics on a college campus is I don't think it's I've seen it discussed uh, uh, consistently as well. The way that people who are listen, we're in college. We're trying to learn. We're trying to gain knowledge and challenge the system and remake the world the way we want it to be because we are young and we have been disgusted with previous generations. And we're going to not just go to class, but we're going to use what we've learned in order to be politically active. That is a huge part of any college experience, whether or not. You're actively avoiding that. There are people at college who are doing that. And you're going to meet people at college who are trying to get involved and engaged and change the world. Hmm. The dialogue in Black Christmas is full of people who are wrestling with that and trying to be a part of that. And I actually think that's the best part of that movie, is that part
1: feels incredibly real to me. I felt the same way about uh, Booksmart.
0: Oh, there you uh, go. Yeah. It's, it's a high school S- movie. It's similar thing. Yeah. Okay. High
1: school, but yeah. Yeah. Um, similar experience. The, the, trying to catch up with the way young people are discussing politics. And I, it seems to me capturing it pretty accurately. Yeah. You know, I, I'm not going to add anything else to that. There's yeah. a couple of films that like Pitch Perfect 2, I thought was... Yeah, that's got, got something about the college experience. But the, the idea of leaving college, you know, yeah. after you graduate and how melancholy an experience that can be. I think Pitch Perfect 2... Nailed that in a weird way. Yeah, um, I
0: like I like both the original I actually never yeah. saw the third one. I heard it. I, I didn't
1: either. I, okay. I, I started to watch it, and it opens with an explosion in a hotel room. It's like okay, we're in we're in goofy territory. <laughs> yeah, now. We're,
0: we're starting to f- yeah. fiddle with the formula. Um, so anyway, I hope that gives you something to to talk about. But uh, re- remember, college movies aren't documentaries unless they're documentaries, and even then, some of them aren't as accurate as mm-hmm. all that. College is what you make of it. So, if you dedicate yourself exclusively to studying, that will be your college experience. If mm. you try to find a balance, that will be your college experience. If you decide to just get blackout drunk constantly, I do not recommend it. I know mm. a lot of people who wasted their college experience doing that, but it's yeah. your choice, and you get to decide that for yourself <laughs> yeah. now. So uh, yeah. ma-
1: ma- making mistakes is part of it. Yeah. Just don't don't deliberately make mistakes.
0: Yeah. Oh, oh, one more film, actually. I think it's one really <laughs> okay. qu- no, last one. last one. Oh. Uh, I think is a really important illustration of the college experience. Monsters University.
1: <laughs>
0: now, there will be but fewer we've, monsters. We've, we've
1: talked a lot about Monsters University yeah. and how, how you and I, I think, are the only ones who are really positive on that movie. I think other people like it. I think you're the only, you and I are the only ones who think it's a classic. Yeah. But I do think it's a classic. Yeah. And what
0: they do is they take all of that sort of animal house, you know, iconography. As, iconography yeah. But what they're actually telling is a story about people who are... In college, trying to find their place in the world, trying to pursue their dreams, and finding out, as a lot of people do in college, that what you always wanted to do isn't quite what you're going to do. It's not
1: not necessarily what your path is. It's
0: not necessarily what you're good at. It's not necessarily what brings you happiness. And sometimes that's a hard journey. And a lot of times I knew a lot of people who would go to college and ended up changing their major halfway through, and they were happier for it. Mm. So I think that's something, that element of change in college. Is something that a lot of college movies don't really talk about too much. Mm-hmm. When was the last time you saw a college movie where someone changed their major?
1: Yeah. It's, well that's not common. It's or talk about their major at all. You know, yeah. it's, it's
0: there's but like that's one that's that's know. a movie about that kind of their plot yeah. shenanigans. But like that's basically what it's about. So, that's another one that I think actually mm. understands the college experience, even though it's not actually showing you, obviously, the college yeah. experience, because it's a bunch of adorable monsters.
1: <laughs> right. Let's do one last one. One last. Uh, here's a letter from Starship. Hello, Starship. Hi, Starship. Uh, hi, Bibs and Rockmeister McCool. I was just listening to your thoughts on Disney's Robin Hood. I spent my early childhood watching mostly Disney animated films. Common experience. Yeah. Uh, so, I'll always have a soft spot for them. Having said that, Robin Hood is one that I liked but didn't love. I did notice that as a toddler that Little John and Blue the Bear had the same voice. And when I asked my dad about it, he told me it was because they were cousins. <laughs> that's adorable. Oh, that, that's a good dad. I like right that there, a lot. Right? That's a good, good save, dad. <laughs> anyway, I did have a question. I was rewatching some Brothers and Sisters episodes. and it re- I don't know that show.
0: I, I watched an episode ben. or two,
1: yeah. Uh, and it reminded me of how much I loved the character of Kevin, played by Matthew Reese. Uh, it also reminded me... Uh, <laughs> How the show as a whole is pretty boring. So, my question is Are there any characters you think are great that are in subpar shows or movies? Uh, your podcast is the bright spot for me with everything going on right now. Thank you all so much for your hard work, sincerely, Starship. Well, um, thank you, Starship.
0: Thank you very, very mm. much. And uh, yeah, that's a good point. Uh, there's a lot, that's a lot of examples of that. The first one that popped in my head, and I'm kind of embarrassed that this is the first one that popped mm. in my head, but Starscream. <laughs> literally the only this character shakespearean character the this only character in the TV transformers show. franchise that i unabashedly like and it's because he's he, yeah he's iago mm. like what if iago was a robot that could turn into a harrier jet and i'm like i love everything about that bitch i want to see a whole movie about that guy and the, the TV show kind of knew what to do with them. he was constantly a thorn in his side he was always a presence the movies had no fucking idea what to do with Starscream and it always pissed me off he's like one of the few mm-hmm. Transformers that not only had a distinct personality but had an
1: interesting personality mm-hmm. and just they never did anything interesting with him pissed Gosh. me the hell
0: off God. what a
1: waste um, I know sometimes uh, characters transcend the films they're in a little bit. Sure. Uh, I was actually a fan of Spring Breakers. I know a lot of critics are split on that one. Yeah, it's, no matter, a, it's kind of designed to be divisive. It's, yeah, it's, yeah, it's actually like deliberately a pretty scuzzy, disgusting movie. But right. that, that is the M.O. of the film. Right. Uh, but Alien, the character played mm-hmm. by James Franco, scuzzy, horrible character. <laughs> Kind of, like he's something you you might want to dress up as it for Halloween, you know. He just sort of s- stands out as this you this very unique film presence, and I I you know a, a TV series about the many adventures of Alien leading up to the events of Spring Breakers. Would be, like, a fun HBO series about this, like, scuzzy dude who's collecting guns and is really shallow and tries to live Spring Break forever. Spring Break forever. Spring, spring Breaker is break. the series. So, yeah. Spring Break forever. <sighs> it's such a creepy thing. I know, it really is. <laughs> so, oh, God. So damn scary. Um, golly, yeah. Yeah. I'm, You can do it Whitney I I, believe in you No I mean this This is gonna take some Brainstorming And I don't have Enough brain
0: anymore (laughs) You're running out Of brain sir
1: (laughs) It's oozing Mm. out In every Every which Mm. way Um Yeah I'm, I'm thinking of Some films that had like I didn't like the films But they had like Really great performances Like uh Rinko Kikuchi was really terrific in the film. Babel. I loathe Babel. Yeah, that's a but good But she's great in that movie. Like, her character and her arc is what really made it at all interesting for me. Yeah. Everything else is, like, preachy, melodramatic claptrap.
0: Uh, Gwen Stacy in the Amazing Spider-Man movies.
1: Emma Stone okay. did
0: her job. All right. Emma Stone's good. Actually, you know what? I'll say it well, right but now. She, she, Bryce she, Dallas mm-hmm. Howard did her job in Spider-Man 3. same mm-hmm. character. But, like, she had such a fun <laughs> character and... I mean, yeah, she died because she died in the comics, mm. but, like, she enlivened those movies even when they were an incomprehensible mess in the second one in particular. Mm. And I I was actually bummed out that they never, like, decided to do the alternate reality thing and let Emma Stone be Spider-Gwen. Hey, no, like, that would have uh, been cool. Hey,
1: look, guys, guys, come on. You know what? They, they might still do that. Yeah. They well, might. Oh, oh, I guess we already had Spider Gwen and in, mm. Into the spider verse Well, we can haven't had a live action, version. A live ac-
0: live action I wouldn't be too, mad. They yeah. have multiple ver- live action versions of Spider-Man. Why no, not why Spider-Man? Not. Just,
1: just, why not just do it all? Uh, the, other, the other one of those. The reins
0: are off. The other one of those movies where I'm actually bummed we didn't get more Paul Giamatti as the rhino. <laughs> I was
1: actually just like, hey,
0: this is getting fun for a second. <laughs> now you cut to granites, damn you.
1: Oh, no.
0: Damn you to hell. Damn you to hell. <laughs> Uh, then there's yeah, one like was, Wonder Woman and Batman v Superman, but she got her own movie. Yeah. So she that, got her, her that, crad, but she wasn't treated very well. A lot, a lot well of people far. really
1: like that movie. Yeah.
0: That's well, a great movie. I think. What, it was what awesome. I
1: find it curious there's there's definitely a phenomenon where uh, sometimes uh, an actor or a performance or even a costume design yeah. will linger in the popular consciousness, even if the film is largely considered bad. Yeah. Uh, which means to this day, I'm still seeing, seeing people like at cons and stuff. Dressed up as uh, the David Ayer version of Harley Quinn. Yeah, a lot of people didn't like Suicide Squad. No, but Margot Robbie
0: like steals that movie. Yeah, and like, so like Will she, Smith. They're both really good. Men.
1: She she gives a good performance, and I guess a lot of people just liked the costume design that they're willing to celebrate this film that they don't like. Well,
0: um, some of them like. Look at
1: chasing after Why are you being uh, at? poor Sergio. Why are you being Stop a chasing jerk? after poor Sergio. Stop it. Just it's being... their
0: dinner time. They're being oh, antsy. Okay. I gotta feed them <laughs> He's attack.
1: just being a cat. This will be our last the last
0: email. All right. Um But uh yeah, that's one of those ones that's just a little hard to think of off the top of your head. Yeah. I think maybe. Mm. But um yeah, hopefully that's something. That's <laughs> yeah. Something to work with. Um Starscream. That's my answer. I will star, star say scream. Starscream. Starscream a million times yeah. over. Starscream forever, everyone. To everyone a star scream and a star scream for everyone.
1: But if it's a good enough character, it should ostensibly elevate everything around it. So that's the uh, idea know. anyway. So sometimes you might find yourself enjoying a subpar or just average movie because it has a good performance or a good character. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. Well, anyway, that's, uh, that's, you've got mail. We've, we've got, mail. we've got mail. We, we've got mail. You've got mail as a AOL. You term. sent mail. <laughs> we've you, got, mail. You, we have got it.
0: Anyway, thank you everybody for writing in thank you everybody for listening again if you want to write in you totally can our email is letters at critically happy to talk about anything you want to talk about we get to as many as we possibly can while still giving everyone a decent amount of time for a thoughtful answer starscream starscream was my answer (laughs) uh and of course you can follow us on twitter at critic acclaim i am at william bibiani i'm at whitney seibold we have a patreon patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network if you want even more of us uh, that's where to go uh, for various uh, subscriptions. Uh, you can get tons of original content, including a podcast dedicated to every episode of Firefly, every episode of Star Trek. We're knee-deep in that. Uh, every film ever nominated for Best Picture. Uh, tons of stuff that is not available on Disney+, Plus, but theoretically should be. Uh, and other things as well. You get to vote for future episodes of tons of different shows. Um, and we thank every single one of our patrons for keeping us on the air during a very rough Time for everybody. We could not be doing this without you, and so we thank you from the bottom of our hearts. Um, and to everyone else who can't become a patron right now, we totally get it. But you know, subscribe if you haven't, leave us a review, tell a friend. Um, that'd be appreciated. And if not, fair enough. Live your hmm. life. I think you're great. <laughs> um, and I think that's it. Whitney am I forgetting anything? No, that's that's everything we got. In that case, sincerely yours, Bibbs and Whitney.